I'm Susan Branscom, and this is Leading She. He'd been in the business world for 25 years, and he said, I didn't realize until I walked in the room and there were so few people that looked like me, you must go through this all the time. Wow. And But he didn't realize because he'd never been in that situation. Diana Reed has had a long career as a C-suite executive on Wall Street and PNC Bank and as an entrepreneur. She is rewired, not retired, as she enters this last phase of her career, and she says leadership is not a solo endeavor. As a proclaimed natural introvert, Diana believes really listening, processing, and learning will position us to better lead and help employees and clients solve problems. Her networking style is one of building relationships intentionally. Though she has felt like an outsider much of her career, this never stood in her way from believing in her purpose. Enjoy listening to Diana Reed. Diana's in town today to moderate a panel for the annual University of Cincinnati PNC Real Estate Symposium. Uh, Diana retired last spring after leading PNC Bank's uh, commercial real estate business for almost 12 years. So let's start with retirement. So you're, <laughs> you're really retired, is that right? Well, let's talk about that word, retire. Okay. Um, I retired from my executive role in the uh, in the spring, and what I really have been doing the last few months is rewiring. Okay. Um, I know I have more to contribute professionally, and I'm trying to plan out what kind of impact that I want to have. Most of us um, today, it's not like our parents' generation. Um, most of us today will have some kind of professional roles well into our 70s. Um, and so for me, it's it's trying to find the balance of maybe a for-profit corporate board or mm-hmm. two uh, and, and of of one or two companies that I really believe in their mission and believe in what they're doing, mm-hmm. uh, and plus uh, some engagement in charitable endeavors as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and plus, I, I really want to continue in supporting the up-and-coming uh, women and minorities for advancement in the business world. That's Good. That's been a passion of mine, and so somehow continuing to do that as well. Mm-hmm. That's what this podcast is about. Good. You've had a, a long career. You've had, uh, you had uh, well, you and I both have had yes. long careers, yes. Diana. Uh, you had your own company, Beekman mm-hmm. Advisors. Mm-hmm. You were managing director and senior advisor on the trading floor of Wall Street Credit Suisse mm-hmm. for a number of years. Yes. And then 12 years with PNC Bank. Mm-hmm. And I've always watched and admired your career, and I've seen you speak a number of times. And uh, talk about... Um, you know, we were both women in commercial real estate, a very male-dominated field. Um, our careers are about the same same length. But you talked about having an impact and pivoting, and the whole pivoting idea, I can relate to that. It's like you've been doing something for a while, and you, these are very varied, three companies, very mm-hmm. varied in terms of what you, what you do. What advice would you give to mm-hmm. a young woman about pivoting and shifting uh, into another, another role? Sure. Um, Thank you for that question. And I I think um, as I look, uh, actually, a a friend of mine said who has known me for many, many years, as I look back at the arc of my career, it 
it almost lots of different roles in a couple companies, and it almost looks um, like a really well planned series of uh, pro- progression of responsibilities and scope and uh, and challenges. Um, but I will say that it was not well planned at all, mm. and and I think the uh, the number one uh, the number one. Uh, lesson uh, that people building their careers can take is uh, just because you don't plan it uh, doesn't mean it's not going to work out really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think especially today with the accelerated pace of change, um, you don't you're going to be CEO of a company in ten years that the product or service or the customer hasn't even been invented today. Mm. So you have to really focus on what's in the present and being excellent and delivering value in the present and then and build your network and your connections mm-hmm. so that you're ready and you're learning about new things so that you're ready to pivot and do something different mm-hmm. and apply your skills and expertise and passion to something slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's it's important to uh, have those pivots, to mm-hmm. have different experiences. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about in this podcast with a number of women that many times women do not want to take the risk if they don't know 80 or 90 percent of what they need to know to take on that responsibility. Mm-hmm. You went from Credit Suisse to Beekman, mm-hmm. your own company, and then from Beekman to PNC Bank. So mm-hmm. these are very different roles. Yes. How did you have the confidence or courage to do it? I mean, how did? How, what would advice would you give there? Sure. Um, and I think the the key is is when you say risk taking, it's a it's a it's a wonderful. It's a wonderful phrase, and it's a wonderful thing to to sort of learn. And I think I think especially in today's world, not changing and not embracing change is actually a bigger risk than changing, hmm. um, because the world will just change around you. Yes, that's right. And you'll be doing the same thing and have not caught up mm-hmm. to how everything's changing. That's true. The tr- uh, risk is so you're saying the risk is bigger. Not change to not change than to, than to change exactly. If we look at um, it that way, then it's yeah. like I got to do something. Right? But I but I think also when as I look back at the at the pretty major changes I made in what my work life looked like and what company it was, um, it really all had to do every every change, big or small, came from the network, an internal network and an external network that I had built over years. Um, because what happened is you build you build that network and people see your work, see what you're doing, see what value you're adding to their business, and they will almost know better than you what you really do well and how you can contribute to their, to mm-hmm. their success. Mm-hmm. So establishing my own company really was only intentional in that um, I had two uh, cus- two customers that I had worked with uh, for many years in my uh, in my uh, roles at uh, at Credit Suisse. They had a particular. I understood their companies really well. They had a particular challenge they were trying to solve, and they asked me to come on board and solve it. And I I didn't really want to be an employee. And so they said, that's fine. We still want you to help us solve this. And so, uh, you know, after a few months uh, sitting at my kitchen table, working away, 
uh, realizing that uh, that I was able, I had created a business model of what I knew, what I could do, what I could contribute to companies um, that really had had legs. Mm-hmm. It had uh, it had potential, and mm-hmm. so I established my own company, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was a wonderful wonderful run. Yeah, and in the process, actually, uh, it was advising uh, multifamily, um, mostly multifamily, but real estate finance companies mm-hmm. who'd grown, been very entrepreneurial, and grown into these wonderful middle market companies. And it was going through a phase where the big financial institutions had all uh, woken up and said, my gosh, why don't we have an in-house multifamily finance company? Why don't we have an in-house real so estate sort of finance company? To you. So those big financial companies all of a sudden wanted to buy uh, the the companies who were my clients. Okay. And so helping them prepare for that and, uh, and, I see. and do that was uh, – it, it really – it was – it was terrific opportunity mm-hmm. meeting even more b- people building that network mm-hmm. and and joining pnc uh came came out of that mm-hmm. the the thought that you're going to actually put together a resume and interview for jobs is you know is is uh, is a little old fashioned. That's what we did back in the eighties, <laughs> right? Yeah, that I that doesn't that doesn't happen. No. So so I think uh, just being open to those pivots and mm-hmm. they may seem like risk. Um, but if you if you if you really have a, a a purpose and you understand that it's it's really it's less of a risk than you think. But you have to have confidence. I mean, people have seen something in you. They yes, Diana could do this. Mm-hmm. You, you have to have the confidence to say, I can do this. Yes, right. Yes. Or if you don't, it's not the end of the world, yeah. right? Yes. Uh, but let's talk about networking. You had said mm-hmm. uh, that that young young woman, as they advance, be intentional about building your professional network. Absolutely. Yeah. So say more about that. And you talked about your professional network and how it's given you these opportunities. To talk about that process. Yeah. Over my career, it's it's been really important to have that network, um, but it's challenging. Um, and maybe not not for the reason you might think, not for the reason because you may be walking into a room and being the only woman in the room, um, but 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 really about uh, I'm naturally an introvert, so walking into any room, whether anybody looks like me or not, is and thinking I'm going to introduce myself uh, to people and and have a conversation that's meaningful is is really daunting. Uh, I have to really plan for that and and figure out Prepare you know what is my it. purpose, mm-hmm. what do I need to get done, and then I mm-hmm. have my checklist. I go mm-hmm. get it done and and uh, and get out. Do you think people um, would be surprised to hear you're you're an introvert? Yes. Me yes. too. Because I am an introvert. Yes. Anybody listening to that is going like, what? Susan's yes. an introvert? But I am. The The benefit of that is um, introverts have a tendency um, to listen more. And I think uh, Dan Gilbert, uh, the wonderful founder of uh, of. of of Quicken Loans uh, and other companies, and and the Renaissance in in Detroit and other cities, um, he has a wonderful uh, uh, book on what he's learned in his uh, in his career and various things. But the the lesson that stuck with me that he said is, I never learned anything by talking. Mm. And I think if you really think about that mm-hmm. and realize. Um, that you have to do as much listening 
listening to your vendors, listening to your customers, listening to your teammates, listening to your managers, listening to those who work for you, really listening and processing and learning um, that that you'll position yourself much, much better. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's one of the hidden advantages of mm-hmm. being an introvert is you you actually naturally want to listen more. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think I think that helps. but it mm-hmm. it really also has to do with, um, being open to new ideas and continual learning. Mm-hmm. Um, as we said, pace of change, accelerating. Yeah, it is. Um, and, you know, no one person has all the answers. Mm-hmm. No one person can solve every problem. And and you have to be really aware of yourself and, and make sure you're not falling into the trap to think mm-hmm. you are the answer. And if only everyone would listen to you, mm-hmm. then it could yeah. be solved. I've been you one, really yeah. have to. You really have to have dialogues with people and listen to what what's their problem. Right. What am I trying to help them solve? Right. What really connects with them? Mm-hmm. And and so I think uh, I think listening, uh, but it also in in networking, you actually it's you're not just there to have people know who you are. You're there to find out about them, about them, right. and find out what's challenging them. Mm-hmm. What's what's a what's something that maybe in your professional capacity, uh, because it's usually industry networking. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you have an idea. Maybe you can contribute mm-hmm. to the solution. So, right. no, so I think I think uh, networking is not just about you know going out there and talking about shaking yourself. Hand, yeah, shaking hands yeah. and. Uh, you know, you and I are the same. We're introverts. We go into these large networking events. The bar's open. There's probably 100 people there. 80%, 90% are guys often. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. you know, kind of gearing yourself up for that. But yeah. a bit, if you go in and say, I'm not here to to look for people to like me or be, make friends, mm-hmm. this is a this is a strategy session, yeah. if you will, to, to to increase your network and you know, yeah, learn. It's, and, and learn. And, and it it's uh, and you have to be really intentional about uh, the opportunities you have to do that, and and you make mistakes along the way. So I will admit to, you know, in the in the ability to sort of network in the business that that we're in. Uh, many years ago, I actually took up a very bad habit of smoking cigars, um, and <laughs> and cigar smoking and knowing your knowing uh, about uh, uh, good red wines. Uh, was was a plus, and you could you could uh, have nice dialogues with some of our industry c- compatriots on that. Um, and and I I realized after a few years of of uh, of my cigar smoking um, that it was number one a bad habit, <laughs> and I also noticed that there were pictures of me. <laughs> And and more of the pictures had me with a cigar uh, for, at industry events, and I thought, you know, that's really not a good look. Yeah. And so I I cut that out. But you know, you you have to find you know some way to sort of feel like you're uh, you're you're part of it. And and that was my uh, yeah, that was I, that was my mistake uh, on thinking that I needed to smoke cigars. I did the same thing, and the guys would uh, my partners, the guys would all gather after we had dinner, and and we'd go looking for cigars. Yeah. And um, I remember liking them, you know, but I did it for the effect. I did it for the shock value. (laughs) Yes. And I did it, I have to admit, 
to be one of the guys. And you remember, you, can, you, you become can, memorable. There's no reason I can't smoke a cigar. Right. Then I started to like them, you yeah. know. <laughs> so, um, but uh, we don't have to do that now, do we? No, we don't. <laughs> it's not healthy anyway. <laughs> Um, I'll uh, divert here a little bit. Well, tell me about your personal background, where you grew up, parents, siblings. Sure. I think it it sort of is informed. I uh, grew up in um, Northern California. Okay. Um, my uh, uh, my parents um, uh, had actually moved there uh, from the east. My father's from was from Kentucky. My mm-hmm. mother from Virginia, and uh, they had moved there. Uh, he was the first in his family. Actually, they were both first in their family to graduate from high school. Mm. And then he went on to uh, to college and graduate school and had the opportunity to uh, move west for, for furthering his graduate school. Um, and they decided to do it. So they took a risk and uh, oh, yeah. packed up a car and moved to California and uh, and never never turned back. Wow. Never turned back. And so uh, so I grew up in Northern California, um, and my father is an educator, teacher, okay. and then principal mm-hmm. and superintendent of schools uh, in the public school system in California when mm-hmm. it was really um, really uh, expansive uh, and and sort of, I guess you'd call it state-of-the-art uh, yeah. uh, for back then. Um, and that's how I grew up. I went to um, uh, college in, uh, in, uh, in California, um, and, then, uh, and then I moved east for, for a job and, and sort of bounced around and tried to figure out what I wanted to do and, and realized I had, some, I had some organizational and business skills, and, uh, but I really didn't have any schooling. Okay. Um, so I went back to graduate school mm-hmm. um, uh, and uh, got my MBA uh, to try to have a better um, uh, hit rate for applying for jobs sure. in the business mm-hmm. world. And so, yeah. uh, so that's University how I, of Virginia. Yes, right? yes, University yeah. of Virginia. Um, and I and so that's that's how I uh, yeah. that's how I found my way to to New York City and, mm-hmm. and Wall Street. After that, yeah, wonderful. Tell me about <clears throat> you were. Um, Back then, one one of the few women uh, working with Credit Suisse in the fixed income area and uh, the trading floor, Mm -hmm. uh, trading area as I call it. Uh, This was back when, like I say, there weren't many women doing that. Um, And, um, but but you, what what was that experience like? I mean, you know, whenever I thought I was Mm -hmm. working at the time and. We were, you know, I was a lender for a long time, and we had the fixed income mm-hmm. area of, of the place we worked with, and they worked with Morgan Stanley and, and all of these uh, Bear Stearns and, um, you know, in terms of fixed income mm-hmm. and, and having them rated and everything. So what what was that like? Sure. Well, I was I was really fortunate. I uh, I actually had started at, at, at City, Citicorp Securities mm-hmm. um, on their mortgage trading, their junior junior person, and I got the opportunity really through uh, customers. Uh, you know, I was the junior person on the on the desk, but I I loved the trading floor. I loved the process of trying to understand all the technicals of pricing mortgage backed securities and hedging mortgage backed securities and. And really delivering the best information so that I could create win-wins for the the customers mm-hmm. who were trying to sell their their new production and the traders who, of course, were buying it and uh, and really understanding what the what the dynamic was. And I moved to I got the opportunity to move to First Boston 
um, when they were hiring a, a, a junior person on on their trading which desk. Which is Credit Suisse. Uh, which is now Credit Suisse, yes. yes it was First Boston right. then. Um, went through a lot of name changes in yes. the 20 years I was I remember. there. Um, and, uh, and, and got the opportunity to move over uh, and join that trading desk. And I really count that as, you know, one of the most uh, fortunate opportunities of my career because at that time, the, the mortgage trading desk had uh, had been founded and was led by Larry Fink, who's now uh, – who founded and, and is uh, the CEO and chairman of, of BlackRock. Mm-hmm. And he was he – was, he was really brilliant in so many ways in, in really having a vision and a mission uh, to change housing finance in mm-hmm. America and make the mortgages, um, single-family residential mortgages – more accessible, more liquid um, by creating this capital markets that really didn't exist. It was much more of a private placement market um, before he took it on and uh, and Lou Ranieri at Solomon, of course. The two of them really uh, reshaped housing finance in America. Mm. And joining that that trading desk um, it was actually it was actually quite diverse. Um, and and mm. the reason it was is because Larry had a vision uh, and a mission. And and really, what he wanted, he just he wanted people to join that desk who had a lot of different skills. He was, you know, constantly coming up with, you know, gosh, we need we need a couple, you know, doctorates in math, and we need, you know, we had a rocket scientist, and we had all kinds of different mm-hmm. people. As long as you love numbers, you love to learn, you bought into the vision and the mission, mm-hmm. uh, and you used your voice mm-hmm. and really helped contribute uh, to the debate of the issues and then uh, and then got it done. And mm-hmm. so it was actually a pretty uh, it, it ended up being a, a pretty diverse uh, uh, diverse uh, trading desk uh, mm-hmm. at that time and uh, um, you know Sounds and I, like I think it it's really because of him because of because him. of him because, because of him. most of the trading desks weren't that no. diverse back no. then. No. So it sounds like he was a pretty open-minded and involved guy and mm-hmm. and brought in diversity. Yes, yeah, he right. he he did before really anybody talked about those words. You know, mm-hmm. nobody used the words diversity or right. inclusion. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. So, um, and, the... and frankly, reading his his annual letter to uh, uh, to companies uh, is is one of the highlights uh, usually of the, of the year. Is is what's on his mind because mm-hmm. he always has been so so forward thinking um, to the what's what's next mm-hmm. in the world for mm-hmm. for business. That's neat. Um, there was something that happened at Credit Suisse mm-hmm. First Boston. A senior person said to you that, "Did you do you really want to wear pants?" I guess you brought <laughs> you came in in pants one day, yes. and we wore we wore skirts and dresses back then, right? I mean, yes. pantyhose, the whole thing. But you you came yeah. in in pants one day. I, so. I did. I I did have a uh, one of the the head of. Um, of uh, the uh, debt capital markets desk, uh, noticed I was. Uh, we were chatting, uh, bringing a new issue and something, and I was over at the uh, the main uh, desk talking to him, and and he was quite surprised that I had worn a, a pantsuit, and I I uh, <clears throat> I sort of brushed it off and said, you know, and told him what the label was and it was a it was a very nice pantsuit mm-hmm. I was not wearing uh, I was not wearing uh, jeans and a t-shirt and no. so I remarked to him that uh, that it was uh, it was quite fashionable and it was quite expensive and so 
he could just uh, back I, off. <laughs> yes, I, I thought it was uh, it was good. completely appropriate yeah. for uh, for the desk. That's but. good. I mean, the message there to me is that somebody's <laughs> saying to you, and they're criticizing you, and the guys are wearing pants, right? So why can't you wear <laughs> pants? And you know, you more or how less times set them changed. straight. How how times have but changed? But you didn't just though. say, "Oh, I shouldn't be wearing pants," and go Not home and all. get a dress. You didn't do that. Yeah. And continuing down this Wall Street. Uh, Wall Street uh, question. There's a New York, New York Times article that's called How Wall Street Bro Talk Keeps Women Down. Hmm. And there's a quote from there, and I'll see what you think of it. Hmm. And it sounds like your experience was different, but it says, most of the sexism on Wall Street occurs when women aren't in the room. Bro talk produces a force field of disrespect and exclusion that makes it incredibly difficult for women to ascend the Wall Street ladder. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about, you know, women on Wall Street and how women and minorities were maybe felt to be on the outside of mm-hmm. the of the male culture there and would leave and maybe not say anything, mm-hmm. you know? And, and yeah. so you lose that talent. Yes. It really was a, a talent drain yes. uh, in the in in the eighties and nineties, those those who got there and and really just you know, I I expect, um, and I, I didn't really realize it until I, I read an article about about that era. Um and I kind of wondered to myself, you know, why I didn't why I didn't leave. And I think it was it was really about having a purpose uh, to to work and 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 really not kind of not caring mm-hmm. um, <laughs> not not caring. I mean, I've always uh, felt like an outsider, mm-hmm. whether it uh, you know for for lots of different reasons. And I think really entering the 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 Wall Street world, um, when I did, um, it was um, it it was it was as much about you know not belonging from a socioeconomic. I mean, there weren't a lot of first generation college graduates um, mm-hmm. around. Most people had gone to Ivy League schools, and uh, and so it was it was just a, a different different uh, different setting. Um, and I I think it's it's as as Wall Street grew, you know, perhaps it it got worse. But I I do think one of the lessons I learned early on um, was also once you have, once you've got some credibility, mm-hmm. um, and I was fortunate enough to um, move to the trading side, be responsible for capital commitments on a certain type of uh, product, and uh, and I did well at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in the in the trading in the trading desk world, if you're doing well in your trading book and you're you're making money for the firm, um, you know that that lends you uh, a lot of credibility, even though you might be young or different. Uh, but just the fact that you are uh, successful in that, um, you know, I I like to say it 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 gives you a little swagger. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you have to use that. That credibility and that voice effectively, and 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 I, you know, was unfiltered enough to to basically use my voice and make sure that, um, or or point out when I if I thought something was was inappropriate on the desk, mm-hmm. I'd just say it and say, 
you know, go Stop to a different doing that. Right. Go, go to a different desk. That, right. That's not that's not something that happens over here. So that's rare. You know that, right? To, I I think it probably is. I I think my my mother would probably say I've been unfiltered since I was uh, <laughs> since I was in kindergarten. So. My mother would say the same <laughs> thing about me. So, uh, but but, uh, but there's a but, time but and a place it, but to really, say it. Really using. I think I think yeah. you really do do have to uh, do have to use your voice. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Talk about what you just mentioned about being an outsider. I thought that's an interesting thing to say, and um, that that you said that whether it's being a woman or maybe not from the Ivy League backgrounds mm-hmm. that some of these other people are, that you felt like an outsider, yeah. but that you didn't focus on that. No, um, I think that's something that's very different uh, from from when you know I came up in in the in the trading world versus versus today um that is interesting is is you know we're many times you know in those first few decades you know there weren't a lot of people who looked like us on the trading desk or at conferences or or wherever um but if you had a if you if you had a reason and a purpose to be there other than um you know your social life then it you know, I would sort of ignore it. Today, I think the the lesson for companies and managers that's very, very important is the 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 middle managers and the up and coming, the younger people who are coming, expect to see people who look like them mm-hmm. as role models at the top. Mm-hmm. And so, if you as a company don't have that, you've got to. You've got to do some soul searching and really understand why and change that mm-hmm. because you will lose talent. And of course, today we are in the companies are in a real war for talent, trying yes. to hire, hire the best, train them, retain them, mm-hmm. uh, and advance their careers in their company. And and you've got to realize to to tap into that whole talent pool, you have got to have uh, people that look like them mm-hmm. at the top, or they're going to walk into the room and say, "Oh gosh, I don't belong." Mm-hmm. For me, I had a different purpose, so you know, I was going to be an outsider anyway. So whatever. Yeah, um, it's a great attitude. I, I didn't need their approval, and it's, you know, it's a great I, attitude. I don't. I don't know if it always helped me, but <laughs> no, I. But I, I I've made it through, and, yeah. it, and my no, career's been okay. Well. So yeah, you did very well. So. Yeah, I think just being an outsider and accepting it and not trying to always fit in. We don't always have to smoke cigars, right, to fit in. Well, I think my form, and I, th- I think this is really important. It was, it was very important for me. I think it's important in building your own career mm-hmm. is getting to know, getting to know myself mm-hmm. and getting to know what my why is okay. your right. Why. So, what is what is your why? Why are why are you? Why am I committed to this company? Why am I committed to this project? Why am I committed to this team? Why do I want to? Why am I committed to this this group of customers? What impact do I want to make? And and what's my purpose? Mm-hmm. Because if you know that and you embrace that, it will quickly allow you to. Get out of situations where there is no why for you mm-hmm. if you don't agree with the sort of goals and mission and find that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also makes, you know, you know, as as somebody said, there's a reason they call it work. Yes. There are going to be tough days. Yes. And it makes those tough days easier if you have that why, if you mm-hmm. have that purpose. One of the things uh, – and, and one of the things that I um, – Adam Grant, uh, who's a, 
uh, organizational psychologist mm-hmm. uh, from Wharton and has written a couple books, one of my favorite books, uh, Originals. And he had a, a wonderful posting a, a couple months ago uh, that really resonated with me. Um, and it he described it, it's very quick, but he described it as uh, the three phases of professional self-esteem as you're building your career. Mm-hmm. One, I'm not important. And we've all been through that. We're a cog in the wheel. We're trying to be excellent. 25 years old. We're not yes. that important, right. right? When we know we're not right. that important, but but we want to be. The second is I'm important. Mm-hmm. And you've you've had some success. You're doing things well. You've got a little of that of that you know pride and credibility, um, and so you're feeling more important. Mm-hmm. But number three is is I want to work on something important. I want to have an impact. And as Adam says, the sooner you get to number three, the more successful, the more success you'll achieve. And the better, the greater impact you will have mm-hmm. once you're working on something mm-hmm. important, as opposed to just feeling you are important. Yeah, that to me is is creating your why and mm-hmm. creating your purpose, uh, and that clarifies a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I mean, you're saying you might start out, "I'm a nobody," then you go to, <laughs> "I'm a somebody," and then you go to the evolved part, which is. You know, I'm, I'm not a, a nobody I'm or a, a somebody. I'm a diff- I'm and I a need difference. to be inclusive with everybody's opinion and really mm-hmm. being an evolved manager. Yeah. You had said that uh, leadership is not a solo endeavor, <laughs> right? You can't right? lead if nobody's uh, right. if nobody's there. Right. Yeah. How big was the team at PNC that you managed? Uh, a, thou- a thousand people. Okay. Uh, thir- about 30 offices okay. acro- across the across country. The country. Um, uh, although... Certain pockets were were larger, five hundred people in Kansas City, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, a lot a lot of people uh, in several different business segments. Um, but but really clarifying, and I think for me, for my work and and dedicating myself, but also when you're a manager for your team, being really clear about the purpose and the mission is is and and helping people connect to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's one of the reasons I've always uh, also focused and been very customer centric, right? I like to say, if you don't have customers, you actually don't have a business. So, so whatever your role is, whatever your job is, do you know the connection between doing your job really well and what your team is doing and how you are impacting the customers of your mm. company? And making that connection because making sure that you are doing something that is going to positively impact and deliver for your customers is what the business is all about. It is, but we we forget that sometimes, sometimes. You, you lose track we of that see, in yeah. in the in the just magnitude getting of what we're getting done. Right. And so constantly reminding yourself of the purpose, but also the connection with the customer. Mm-hmm. How are you impacting those customers? Yeah. And is it working? Yeah, that's great. Um, you were you were interviewed for the Forte Foundation, mm-hmm. um, which I looked up the mission, and it says, launch women into fulfilling significant careers through access to business education, professional development, and a community of successful women. Mm-hmm. So you were interviewed for them, with by them, and um, they talked about 
Men as Allies. And I guess mm-hmm. there's a program, Men as Allies. Mm-hmm. Tell yes. me about that. Sure. Um, I I had not heard of, of Forte Foundation. Uh, a uh, colleague of mine at, at PNC is, is on their board and introduced uh, the organization, and I was interviewed for them. And it really doing some great stuff on, on campuses as well as um, in that sort of critical first decade of, of careers, of uh, of women um, to really develop their business skills, develop the uh, ability and the ambition to to proceed in a in a in the business world, and um, and a few years ago, and it was actually triggered by a, a research project they'd done with I believe Cornell University, um, the MBA program, and. Um, what they discovered is they were not attracting enough women to the business school. And as they tracked people afterwards, um, they, they were losing people to other, other, other sectors. And so uh, they, they did some research and they started a new affinity group called Men as Allies mm. to really help their, the male students um, have a group to talk through and to learn from uh, to how to be allies in the business world with all their teammates, including um, those that that didn't happen to be of the same gender. Right, and so trying to sort of start early um, to uh, to help uh, the the men in business recognize um, that you know as as you had mentioned, bro talk really isn't a really good team building no. exercise. And so uh, helping them understand that. Uh, PNC actually took that uh, uh, took that uh, concept with Forte and actually was the first to implement it as an affinity group uh, and a pilot program and affinity group at PNC. Mm, um, and I was fortunate enough to be able to support and enable and, and, and help that, although I didn't go in the room because it was their their affinity group, but mm-hmm. uh, but it really created some uh, important um, what you might call aha moments mm-hmm. uh, for the for the men in business about uh, the impact. I remember at at one point um, one of the one of the uh, uh, more senior people um, uh, participating um, uh, shared with me uh, I had invited uh, him and several others to attend some of the women's affinity groups in uh, presentations. Mm-hmm. And he had attended one. There were about 300 people in an auditorium. And of course, less than 10% uh, were men. And afterwards, he said, and I was so surprised. He'd been in the business world for 25 years. And he said, I didn't realize until I walked in the room and Less than, you know, there were so few people that looked like me. You must go through this all the time. Wow. And But he didn't really because he'd never been in that situation. So I think it, it's a terrific um, program that, that Forte and, and PNC mm-hmm. have, have been rolling yeah. out and helping other corporations integrate yeah. it as well. It sounds like a great way to do it at campuses so that you're mm-hmm. getting in early, like you mm-hmm. say. And so you're orienting the women in this mm-hmm. way and the men. Uh, but, um, you know, to put it into a corporation, a company mm-hmm. like PNC, mm-hmm. you know, it needs to be in those companies because the whole idea is, you know, what are what is it that men are saying and doing, behaving that they maybe don't see that are mm-hmm. it's unconscious bias? 
that are some maybe somewhat offensive to, to women and to really raise that awareness because, you know, the whole leaning in idea mm-hmm. is you women aren't doing things right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not always about women not doing things right. It's about we have to have both genders in here mm-hmm. working on this, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, well, we'll wrap up with this question. Um, uh, you are no longer with PNC mm-hmm. and it sounded like a great career. Um and you had a great reputation there. Uh, you are now an independent strategic advisor and board director. Um, how are you spending your time? Do you have some boards you're serving on? You're speaking, and what what are you doing? Um, it's I, I will say I who knew how fun it hmm. would be to uh, rewire. Okay, rewire. Um, mm-hmm. It it has been a wonderful process. I've learned a lot, and I'm I'm figuring out what. What impact I I really want to want to have um, for the next decade, mm. um, and I I think uh, I've been talking to a few people about um, um, some corporate boards uh, as well as uh, identifying the 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 uh, uh, community engagement and and charitable endeavors that I'll really dedicate you know time and energy and resources to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really been a it's been a fun process. Um, I I will say the biggest game changer for me yeah. uh, has actually been sleep. Sleep. Oh, you're getting what sleep a, now. Who who knew? And it's a wonderful thing. Who sleep. knew what the how how good the world would look when you get you know <laughs> enough sleep, seven hours of sleep as opposed yeah. to four and a half. Yeah. That um, a, that's that's been a that's been a great uh, that's been a great thing. Yeah. But also staying engaged. Um, we're about to, I'm about to launch with a few of my colleagues at Urban Land Institute, mm. um, some virtual mentoring circles. Um, as well as um, uh, as well as a um, uh, minority leader program um, within uh, within uh, ULI. So really mm-hmm. excited about staying engaged and mm-hmm. actually um, uh, just participated in Urban Land Institute's the jury for the um, long time, almost two decades of uh, the U- Urban Land Institute Heinz Award, mm-hmm. uh, which goes to uh, uh, teams from universities. Who uh, basically c- uh, come up with a uh, a great multidisciplinary uh, urban plan? Oh, that's um, wonderful. And so that's that's been fun. So yeah. uh, there's no lack of of interesting and and fun things to mm-hmm. do and challenging uh, challenging mm-hmm. opportunities. So it, it's it's been a great experience yeah. so far. Yeah, and it's it's interesting how we talked about our parents, how you, the days of having a forty year career with one company retiring. And not doing anything, those are over. Those are over. The baby boomers like us, we may not, we may leave our careers that we've had for all this time, mm-hmm. but there are like two or three, four or five things that we can do and still have enough time for rest and other yeah. travel and other things to do. That's what, that's what we're seeing the baby boomers do. Yeah. They're rewiring. They're yes. not, they're not just sitting yeah. on the, Sofa and, and watching absolutely, TV, absolutely. You know? So uh, we'll we'll rename ourselves the Rewired Generation. I like it. I like it. Diana, thanks for coming in today. We really appreciate the. Thank you for the opportunity. You. Yeah, it was great. Thank you for listening today. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Follow us on Instagram at Leading She, and visit our website leadingshe.com, where we have many great ideas for women leaders.